Hey there, Jack. How's Japan treating you? I mean, you know, it's not New York. That's for sure. <laughs> it got got a lot of stuff that they have so many rules and traditions. Like, you know, I just I'm just looking, really looking forward to taking this uh, this bath right now. Oh, I'm sure you'll be fine. Hey, the the nozzle's right there. I know it's a little weird. All right, yeah. Oof, I mean, how how did you do it, Max? You know, you've been here for so long. Isn't this such a weird place? Yeah, yeah. You know, I had a little bit of uh, a little bit of training with uh, chopsticks. <laughs> yeah. But can you uh, can you pass me the soap? Yeah, yeah, sure, of course, of course. Yeah, but you know, there's the temple culture, and you mm-hmm. know, being very respectful. And hey, 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 man, you you need a washcloth? I got you. Why would I need the what? I have the soap. I'm just gonna, you know, just, just rinse it all around. You know, I mean, this, is that is there some weird Japanese rule that I can't use soap? Uh, no, nah, that's like a life rule, bro. What? That's like, yeah, you gotta wash. Like you can't just put soap on your body and the, the germs go away. It doesn't work like that. But why would I use a washcloth? What's that gonna do? What? Why? Why? Yeah, okay, okay, brother. I, I, I just want to explain something to you real quick. Look, look at me. I'm washing. <laughs> washcloth. Uh, look at look at everybody else in here. All the Japanese people here ain't even using washcloths. Look at those. Look at him over there. Washcloth. Cleaning them up. But that's no. You you wash the top half of your body. You put the shampoo on, and then that's it. I gotta go. I gotta <sighs> go, brother. You. You a lost cause, brother. I'm just gonna keep scrubbing. Yeah, keep scrubbing. Uh huh. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't wanna be safe. You can't save us. We don't wanna be safe. You can't save us. We don't wanna be safe. You can't save us. We don't wanna be safe. You can't save us. We don't wanna be saved. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of White People Won't Save You. This is a podcast where we deconstruct these white savior films and recontextualize them through a black and PLC lens. I am one of your hosts, Jordan Clark. And I'm the other one, Cameron Mason. And we've we've got we've got one for the sports fans out there because hey. it is we're getting ready to start up this baseball season. I think it started up pretty recently. Yeah, and, actually, uh, tonight's opening as we record this. It's opening day, right? I think so. I think it's yeah. I think it got started up this week. And for uh, I'm in Baltimore here. Um, Orioles, I think opening weekend is this weekend. Cool. So, you know, another season of mediocrity to uh, <laughs> <laughs> general non-contention. You've got, I mean, you've got the Mets, Cameron. I don't, Those I don't are, people, that's people, a really soft take, man. <laughs> yeah, you know. But, you know, then also, you know, another another year of Yankees fans coming down here to Baltimore to just take over the stadium while we uh, yeah. just aimlessly watch and get crushed. But it's that's the battle whole, of the beltway, <laughs> but... It, I, I wish we could find another word for it that wasn't necessarily battle, more like... Um, it's more like an occupation. Just, it's more like, <laughs> like, like they just It's an instruction on how to play baseball. <laughs> but we've, we've got a friend of mine on the show today who I'm very excited to have come and talk with us because they are 
somebody that I enjoy talking about film with, but also particularly for this conversation and this film in particular, you know, they're, they're very much somebody who has a lot to say and a lot of knowledge about Asian cinema. Um, they have an excellent blog that you should follow called Film Smash, where it's all about Asian cinema and international film. Also, you know, spent a lot of time just as a, as a video store clerk. So they've got that experience too, just having people coming in and either probably talking nonsense or also just like weird, weird movie <laughs> choices. Uh, but this is Cesar Alejandro Jr. Cesar, how are you doing? Doing great, guys. How are you? Good, good. Great to be here. Happy to, happy to have you here. Hello, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, Cesar, I, I'd like to start off just, just asking a few questions because I'm always very curious about, you know, guests and specifically people who are very much so into cinema and film. So, you know, for you, like what, what was it that specifically hooked you and got you into movies? And then probably even more particular, like Asian cinema specifically, like, was there a particular film or just like a particular moment where you're just like, Oh, like movies are, that's my thing. Uh, Well, I guess generally I'd say, like most people, the love of film or movies kind of stems from your parents. My father particularly was someone who was really big into film, mostly the blockbuster, not necessarily the art stuff, but he certainly made sure that we had all the big action films, the not so big action films, uh, the big Hollywood stuff, and occasionally some of the, uh, um, I guess, homegrown stuff. Uh, my family's mm-hmm. from the Philippines, so occasionally we'd rent like those weird low budget actioners. <laughs> um, and from there, you know, I always really love watching films, uh, but specifically Asian film, uh, probably at a very young age, a lot of people would probably share this of our generation, uh, Black Belt Theater. Mm-hmm. Um, now, in Baltimore, there was a period of time when Black Belt Theater used to be on Sundays. Most people will recall that it was a Saturday event, and I think fondly a lot of people will remember that. But uh, for a period of time in my childhood, uh, WNUV 54, used to show Black Belt Theater on Sundays. So my Sunday schedule, my routine typically would be wake up early in the morning because uh, you would have either Blondie and Dagwood uh, or the Three Stooges in the morning. (laughs) Yeah. And it was off to mass. Then you'd come back home, watch something on Black Belt Theater. Sometimes you knew what title was, sometimes you didn't. Most times you didn't. Uh, and then maybe some other Sunday afternoon thing before, I don't know, Wonderful World of Disney maybe or Mission yeah, yeah. Impossible, whatever we would watch on that Sunday. That's around when I woke up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so a lot of people would say martial arts film would be their intro into Asian film. And yeah. obviously a guy like uh, Jackie Chan, Bruce Lee, they're such uh, prevalent and huge pop culture figures. Uh and their films in general are a lot more accessible than some of the others. Um, yeah. Things weren't as easy as they are today. We could just stream something. You had to really know what you were looking for. And a lot of times you'd right. kind of wreck uh, your suggestion uh, with awful stuff because you're going in blind almost the entire time. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the biggest thing that would influence my Asian film watching is uh, probably in early 2000s, I had picked up a all region DVD player. So, all region DVD player and subtitles really opens up the world of film for you. So not just with yeah. Asian film, yeah. um, though I did get one initially to watch 
uh, a martial arts film. That movie was Ong Bak. So I guess my all region yeah. DVD player came in probably 2003, I'd say, because I needed to buy it. Um, the DVD didn't have subtitles. It was region three. Mm. It was PAL, but I could play it. And, you know, that's no not titles. Yeah. I mean, that's not a movie you really need it, do you? <laughs> <laughs> definitely not the first right. Ong Bak. Yeah. Uh, sure. But that enables you and there's a collector's mentality i think if you're into comic books or films or whatever that yeah, you yeah. just kind of want to experience as much as you can so from there you know you get the dramas the comedies everything you start learning names and eventually you get uh uh you find people who share similar experiences and uh interests and eventually that's how my website filmsmash.com was born so oh, that's it, awesome yeah it i exists. actually saw um Oh, go on, go on. No, initially it existed as uh, somewhat well-known. I guess you got to be within that circle. Somewhat well-known Asian blog site, DVD review site called Kung Fu. I think I think you Kung Fu Cult Cinema pretty well within uh, film Twitter in general, film social media in general. Mm-hmm. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> you can never say that about yourself, but hopefully other people can say it about you, right? Right. Well, I saw um, everything everywhere all at once last night. And I, you know, being that movie, what it was and the references and the influences that it was pulling from, I definitely love to get your take maybe after we have this conversation. So yeah. we stay in focus. <laughs> yeah, I haven't podcast. had a chance to watch it yet, though, but uh, I guess it's playing, oh. it's expanding on Monday to a lot more theaters. So well, it's going to be here at the Charles. It's starting Friday. So I'm going to see it uh, on Saturday. But Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, think, like, uh, I guess think, locally, think the Cineplex is doing... Well, Saturday, unfortunately, just going to go into like some of my private life here. We're doing a '90s movie night with a group of friends. So, okay, that's, okay. that's what we're doing. <laughs> I, I I could miss it for that. I hear that. it'll be there. It'll be there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of that, though, I I do want to ask my my second question was, you know, we're we're living in an interesting time where Asian cinema and Asian media has kind of started to even more and more permeate, you know, American culture. You've got obviously, you know, stuff like parasite winning best picture you've got stuff like squid games really you know big being the show of the of the moment uh last year and then you've got even now like cameron just mentioned you know everything everywhere all at once you had the success of crazy rich asians you had shang chi you know like first big asian superhero film like all of these things kind of coming together at this particular moment in time for you seeing the I guess we can call it a rise, I guess, in a sense, like it is it is kind of a, a moment here for for Asian film. And even this year, you know, Drive My Car nominated for Best Picture. Like, what do you what do you think is giving rise to that? You know, what I mean, because a, a lot of the initial pushback is, oh, I don't want to read subtitles. I don't want to do, you know, all this extra stuff, which is like, you know, mm. I will <laughs> get into those people, but like there's there seemingly was a barrier, or at least people created a barrier for themselves initially. But now, as you know, these things have started to pick up more and more. Do you feel like there's a there's a catalyst for that, or do you feel like it's just good art rising to the top? I definitely think good art has existed this entire time, especially with film and television and so forth. Um, I think the main catalyst in this current moment that we are in is probably accessibility. Uh, the advent of streaming services have certainly uh, caused competition between different companies and you know everyone wants what is 
hot or new. And I think for a very big part of that, now this isn't going to be an all-inclusive kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm not sure how old most of those people in this audience are going to be, or you two in general, honestly. I'm sure I'm probably a little bit older than both of you. Um, but Japanese anime, I think, is probably one of the big things that you could say yeah. is responsible for this. Uh, anime, when I was a kid, was something you rented or traded on tapes. You know, It would very expensive on cassette tape, and your library was generally pretty limited by whatever you could afford. Mm-hmm. Uh, these days, you can get subscription services to any number of anime services that are owned by big conglomerates, even. Uh, so Netflix has originals. Uh, Sony owns Funimation and Crunchyroll. They just recently merged. Uh, anime offers a look at the Japanese culture through an easy medium, animation. Uh, when you think about what gets most people into media, you know, as a kid, generally you'll watch something like cartoons or something animated, and that's your that's your entry into watching media outside of like books or music or whatever. So, anime really getting big is what I would say has done it. And sure, you have things like Parasite or Squid Game becoming big. I think that just happens to be the next step. Um, yeah. In the past, there have been smaller little epics, I guess you could say, of Asian popularity that somewhat fizzled. I don't think we're going to be seeing that at this point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anything from Iron Chef or uh, uh, certain video games, Ninja Ga- the Ninja Boom of the 80s. Uh, right. There's little things, or the Karate Kid, even. You know, things I'm still that- in that Ninja Boom. Oh, I'm still living. I'm still living and thriving in that. I don't think. I don't. I don't think that's true. Um, I think <laughs> not you necessarily. I don't know necessarily that we have a big ninja boom right now. I think no, definitely a, not happening right now. Mm-hmm. No, not um, no, no movies of like n- random ninjas from LA who are just yeah, like no American ninja stalking out <laughs> random LA gangs for no reason. We're not really. We're off that, as Drake or, said. Yeah, Miami connection. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, definitely, I think <laughs> definitely. That's that's over. No, I think that's definitely unfortunately a good point. it's I, over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I hadn't You're really right. I hadn't really connected those dots. I mean, obviously even stuff like Studio Ghibli, you know, being such a big thing and people really gravitating to those films, I can see bringing people in cuz even now my mom is on a she's on a she's on a multiple kicks, but like she mm. every time I come over, she's got a new Korean drama or you know whatever it is streaming from Netflix like she's really started to investigate just all of those different films and TV shows and things that they have streaming and I think you're you're very true in that accessibility really is the thing because now in the the age of streaming where people are just like what what is there you know like people are willing to give things a try you know and like see what hooks them and so you know whereas before obviously you were kind of limited in terms of like okay what's in theaters really all we were showing was Jackie Chan. I mean, even if you want to like extend this into a conversation about Bollywood and like, you know, South Asian film, like there's, it's been there and it's been a huge industry and a lot of things have been happening, but like for us here in America, it's just kind of like, huh, what, who, you know, (laughs) like those, those people haven't really transcended and and crossed over in the way. And, you know, it'd be interesting to see if that does happen in the future. Not yet. I mean, you have movies like Danny Boyle's Slumdog Millionaire, kind of shining right. a light to it and for a period of time in the early 2000s you had uh the indian actress aishwarya rai 
kind of making headway into Hollywood. For sure. Um, not necessarily in a lot of great stuff. I mean, she was in Pink Panther Part Two, and you know, she's certainly I mean, she's certainly lovely. But I don't know that the American audiences were necessarily uh, ready for too much uh, Indian in their movies. Yeah. So, I mean, you could actually even go further than say, um, I mean, two thousand. That was a pretty big year for a uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and that was a movie that was a mm-hmm. Hong Kong film. That was a Chinese yeah. film. Oh, it's a movie from Taiwan. Um, Taiwan. Yep. Oh, so, so, so it's a Taiwanese film that's coming over with a completely Asian cast that has nothing to do with, uh, I mean, the Western culture other than is what its uh, distributor. Yeah. Well, it was written in English. It so, was written in English. Yeah, Crouch and Tiger Dragon. I might hopefully I don't ramble. This is actually something. No, I, I, I I'm loving learning more about Crouch and Tiger here in the moment. Everybody, yeah. you're gonna have to come with me on this journey. Come <laughs> okay. with us, come with us <laughs> on this journey. Crouch and Tiger Hidden Dragon is based on a series of books called the Iron Crane Pentology. So Oh yes, yes, yes. Crouch and Tiger Hidden Dragon is probably I wanna say I could be wrong, but I think it's the third or fourth book of this series. It's right in the middle. Yeah. So uh the earlier books kind of deal with um Limu Bai and Shudian, uh, their relationship where they meet and her fiance who dies before uh, the beginning of the film, Crouching Tiger and Dragon, oh my God. who yes, is yes, Limu yes. Bai's sworn brother, which yes, yes. in swordplay films means, you know, <laughs> big butts, hardcore butts. Um, <laughs> no, I I actually do love this movie. I think it's like a quiet masterpiece. Oh, honestly. I love it. Honestly, yeah. it's actually my favorite film. So. Uh, oh wow! My favorite film. So I think it, mm. it's here uh, on the podcast. You heard it here. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's such a mix of stuff. I mentioned it's from Taiwan. You know, yeah. Uh, the actors they speak Mandarin. Um, mm-hmm. Ang Lee, who is Taiwanese, he wrote the script for it and ad- adapted it in English first before sending it over. Translating it. Trans- before yeah. yeah, translating it. But most of the talent that's there are Hong Kong talent. You know. Yeah. Cheng Pei yeah. Pei, uh, Michelle Yeoh. Um, Chayun Fat. Their Fat. Their mm-hmm. filmographies are very Hong Kong centric, and they have exactly. a lot of. That, that's why I had a mistake. In. Sure, yeah, it happens. Uh, it's uh, it's tough to tell. I mean, considering how kind of camouflaged everything is, you know. But mm-hmm. I mean, I wow. think that makes it very accessible because, mm-hmm. um, yeah, in two thousand, that's a movie that uh, broke records, you know, for Academy Awards. Uh, it really, it, it really did, and it kind of opened up. A, a little bit more of the modern conversation around like um, world films in the Oscars. Yeah, and on accessibility, right? So it's a martial mm-hmm. arts film, so you you can get uh, audiences and seats by saying, "Oh, you know, the action's phenomenal in this," and it truly is. But then you tie it they, in. With they really this. sold it on that. Yeah, it's a much more lyrical film than that, which I was like happy to see. You know, excited to mm-hmm. find out. But it is definitely like also action packed. Yeah. For anybody who hasn't seen it, it's oh, it's like it. an, it's an all timer. Yeah, yeah, it's an all timer. Yeah, and I, uh, you know, whenever I talk about it, I feel like I want to rewatch it. You know. <laughs> uh, uh. Well, I'd love to watch that movie any day more than we watched what we had oh, to this boy. week. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm going to well, play uh, devil's advocate a little bit and say I suggested this because I actually do have quite a bit of fondness for it, even though I can ooh. recognize okay. the big failures that this movie represents. Well, let's get into it. Tell everybody what movie we watched this right. week, Caesar. So my suggestion uh, for this week's episode was Mr. Baseball, starring Tom Selleck. Mr. Tom Selleck, 
Mr. Tom Selleck. Mr. Could have been Indiana Jones. Yeah, yeah. Mr. Quigley Down Under. (laughs) Mr. Quigley Down Under. (laughs) Mr. Magnum P.I. himself. Yes. Well, it's an interesting film because Mr. Baseball is a movie that... We'll we'll talk a little bit about the behind the scenes and kind of how it came to be. But it's a sports movie that feels like, you know, because this is post major league and post bull Durham and post like a lot of these other like big, like baseball films. And so it's, it's doing the comedy thing, which, you know, other baseball films had, you know, stepped into. We'll get into how funny it actually is though. (laughs) Well, it it, it sits in a weird place because it's, it's done in a way that feels so broad and yet Mm -hmm. they're, they're trying to get into, it dips in and out of like dramatic, moments and issues in a mm-hmm. way that feels very much so of a of a previous time even before of the a 90s period, yeah, for yeah. Sure. definitely so the rhythms are definitely the rhythms of like a 90s drama like a yes. light drama but for those interested in a little bit more about the you know who's involved so there's fred skepsi who is a australian director who is responsible for a number of different movies, but I think the one that people probably know the most would be uh, Six Degrees of Separation. Also directed, um, what is this movie that I'm like? Roxanne. People are, well, Roxanne, and then I guess I guess <laughs> the like one Steve that Steve Martin. That's the one. That's the one I would remember. I'd probably yeah. remember first because that's something I remember actually watching in school. Yeah, well, there's there's Watch a movie Roxanne that... in school. It's an adaptation of Cyrano de Bergerac. So I mean, it is, but uh, okay, so we watched. Okay, I guess because of that. I, I guess <laughs> that movie's a little bit more savvy than the ad. ad you know, the average. Sh- we'll show this to you in like grade school movie. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll admit, <laughs> I, was, I was probably in. I was in middle school though. I guess so. There you you go. could take it by then. Yeah. <laughs> Well, he also directed a movie called IQ, which sounds insane because the, oh, the actually, description is... It's kind of sweet, honestly. <laughs> it's actually a sweet okay. movie. I've seen it All too. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, what's... Ha- it's, the description I'm getting here is the film centers on a mechanic and Princeton doctoral candidate who fall in love thanks to the candidate's uncle, Albert Einstein. So does yep. Albert Einstein set up a meet-cute or... Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Albert Einstein was was a tender before he knew what, he knew what the right. concept was even. Well, that's that's who's involved on the directing side. But boy, I'm going to go down the list because it's written by uh, Theo Pelletier, John Junkerman, Gary Ross, Kevin Wade, and Monty Merrick. And you're going to say, that's a lot of people involved in writing one movie. It is, and there's a reason for that that we'll get to in a little bit. But it does star Tom Selleck, uh, Dennis Allstate Haysbert, and uh, (laughs) a bunch of just Japanese actors, most notably... uh, Ken Takakura, who is just a, a legendary celebrated a legend. Japanese <laughs> actor. So it's kind of weird to see him in this movie. Um, but let's let's get into what the movie's about. I'm going to attempt to do this in five minutes. I think I can do this in five minutes. Uh, I think but, you can. I, I have anyway. faith. Cameron, give me give me the, the countdown here, and we'll, we'll see what I can do. <laughs> All right, everybody. Three, two, one. All right, so Mr. Baseball begins with a, a very bizarre dream sequence that it takes a second <laughs> to understand what's happening, but we're seeing Jack Elliott, who is um, Tom Selleck. He's a New York Yankee. He's 
having a, a real hard time at bat. He's down bad in the in the I'm assuming a, a very crucial part of the game. He swings, he strikes out, strike three, but then he's got to come back to the plate for strike four and strike five and strike six. You were like, "What's going on?" Obviously, this is a dream. He wakes up in a sorority house. Uh, so I guess we're just a, if you were wondering if 47 year old Tom Selleck fucks he he does uh, and apparently <laughs> it's it's uh, coeds so he goes from that situation to team practice again he is actually on the Yankees he's an aging star he's having a, a real down season and much to his chagrin they brought in a rookie played by a uh, real life like all-star home run hitter Frank Thomas uh, who went in to hit 500 home runs and be like just one of the greatest baseball players of all time. So it is kind of when I saw it, I was like, is that Frank Thomas? Mm. Uh, he doesn't say mm. anything, obviously, but, <laughs> but at that point, you know, Tom said, was kind of, okay, something's going on here. He gets called into the manager's office and uh, you know, they're like, you know, we, we got to move you out the paint here management is telling us that you know they want to move this rookie into your spot which means that you got to get out of here so we've got some trade options for you and he's like oh man you know don't tell me i'm going to canada and they're like not canada he's like oh no not cleveland not cleveland and you guessed it he's going to japan which is a situation that i'm 95 percent sure is not possible i don't think you could get traded from a major league team to a japanese team but that's what happens is the premise of this movie he gets traded over to japan to go play for the chunichi dragons which is an actual baseball team um of course obviously you know how this goes down he he gets off the plane Japanese people everywhere, lots of jokes about short people, lots of jokes about people talking fast, lots of jokes about food uh, that he doesn't understand. But he's he's met by his um, his interpreter, Yoji, who is really trying to get him to smooth over the image because he's been brought over as kind of a ringer for this team who is not doing so great. And so they're kind of depending on him to, to turn it up and be Mr. Baseball, which is the, the moniker they've given him, but he's, he's not into it. He's not into the way that the street trains. He's not into, you know, all of the, all of the different things going on. And he's definitely not into, uh, Uchiyama, who is, uh, Ken Takakura, the manager of this team, who's who's very strict. He has got a very strict way of doing things, and that really meshes with the way that Jack Elliott wants to do things. He's also met by again Dennis Allstate Haysworth, who's uh, Haysworth, who is Max Dubois or the Hammer, and he's been there for a while. He's an American baseball player, and he's kind of like, look, this is the way that we do things. You just got to get used to it. Obviously, he's not going to get used to it. Um, but if you're wondering if there's a random love story inserted into this movie, you absolutely are right because. After basically one practice, he meets uh, Hikuro, who is like the PR manager for the team. She kind of tricks him into what he assumes is a date, but then she's like, Sight, guess what? You're going to do some commercials. Got to get you out here. Got to get you in front of the people. Um, but that develops, you know, throughout the movie into kind of they, they eventually do start going out, um, but not before we see Jack succeeding and then struggling. He has a little bit of a time there where he's doing well, but then things start to spiral out of control. Particularly there's one game against the uh, giants who are like the, the main rival of the dragons. And he's just, he's not listening to uh, the coach. He's not listening to anybody. Uh, Uchiyama wants him to bunt, you know, in a crucial situation. He's like, fuck that. I'm Jack Elliott. I hit home runs. I'm going to go out here. I'm going to swing. He strikes out. 
you know, game over. Uh, Uchiyama, we find, is is on the hot seat. The managers of the dragons are very much so like, you know, this is this is it. You're cutting it close. If you don't make this happen this year, you know, with Jack Elliott, like, we're going to get you out of here. Um, so Jack, in an attempt to get his mojo back, goes with uh, Hiroko to a, to a temple, and then eventually they start getting beers, and then eventually they get into a bath that <laughs> grows, that's up. And, and then it's like, Hiroko asks him out of nowhere, tell me about your deepest fear, and then, uh, I'm getting down on time, that's alright. Yeah, <laughs> 10 seconds, it's not going to happen. Yeah, she, she asks him but about his deepest fear. you're about fear. over halfway through it. We're getting there, yeah. She asks him about his deepest fear, to which he says, I mean, basically being washed. Uh, like, he's, he's always been a baseball player. He doesn't know what he's going to do if he's not a baseball player. He says all he wants to do is hit. She says you will hit. And she means that figuratively and literally, because then they, I assume, have sex uh, immediately after that. Uh, and then after that, he does hit again in terms of he gets into a big brawl um, <laughs> in the next game where he's hit by a pitch. He's freaking out. You know, he, he goes and rushes the pitcher, even though everybody's like, oh, he didn't mean it. Um, he ends up hitting Yoji, his interpreter, in the face. And that's when they're just like, yo, we got to bench this dude. He's no good for the team. So he's on the bench. <clears throat> he's not really, you know, going anywhere. And this is where uh, Hiroko has a big reveal, which is that actually <laughs> I'm Uchiyama's daughter. And, uh, you know, you've been sleeping with the coach's daughter this whole time. And so she brings him over to their house to have a traditional Japanese meal, uh, which includes lots of slurping, which is culturally correct. But, of course, Tom Selleck takes it too far and just it's all slurps. Um, but that's when he and uh, Ujiyama decide, hey, maybe we need to figure this out. We need to mend these bridges. And so... Jack Elliott's like, all right, you know, I'll start doing things your way. I'll start training and I'll start listening to your instructions and all that stuff. But of course, Tom Selleck can't not teach him something. So he's like, guess what? You're a tight ass. Be nicer to your daughter. Also, stop being so hard on the team. Let's have some fun. They kind of find a middle ground. Jack Elliott gets on a roll. He's hitting home runs after home runs. He's he's on a seven home run game streak, which is uh, also you know, Uchiyama's like record that he holds. So he's threatening to break that record. And before the last big game of the season against the Giants, he gets a phone call from his agent who's telling him, you know, guess what? Dodgers, they want you. They want you to come back to America, be on the team. Elliot's stoked about that. Um, Hiroko, not so much. She's like, oh, you know, you're just going to leave me for baseball. Like you never really were invested in this relationship. All you care about is baseball. Jack doesn't deny that, but also <laughs> just like, you know, we could still be together, but she, she decides she doesn't want anything to do with him. She's not coming to the big game. Um, but you know, the dragons, they're, they're in it, they're fighting, they're battling, you know, it's coming down to the last at bat with Jack at bat and, uh, Uchiyama gives him the signal and he comes over and he's like, wait, does that mean what I think it means? And he's like, yeah, I want you to swing. You know, I don't want you to bunt. I want you to swing. And so he goes up to bat. You know, he's battling. He takes some strikes. He get down to, you know, 3-2 count. And what does Jack Elliott do? He bunts, baby. He does He does it uh, the dragon way. He bunts. They win the game. Uh, you know, everything is coming up. Dragons. Ujiyama gets an extension. He's the he's the coach of the team. He's like, yesterday's price is not today's price. You got to up that for me. Dennis <laughs> uh, uh, Haysbert gets the position that Jack was going for with the Dodgers. He gets he gets to go over and go back to America. And what does Jack Elliott do? Well, he becomes a coach for the Detroit Tigers. And who comes with him? 
if not uh Hiroko who it's not clear well, I guess she's just an artist now like I guess she's Maybe I'm not clear manager. what her yeah she doesn't she was I don't, just she's on a cell phone on an important call <laughs> she's doing something maybe she's still working for the dragons well earlier she, earlier in the film she uh uh he goes to visit her and she's working at a graphic art firm yeah, so I, yeah. Guess I, I assumed it was the pr firm and she was in the, the graphics department yeah so i don't know if she's doing that in detroit or if she's still doing that in japan it seems like there is a time difference i think she's still working <laughs> in japan but that's the end of the movie that's it uh mr baseball so <laughs> I I definitely have some thoughts, but Caesar, I mean, you you have some. I don't know if you would call them defenses, but you definitely have a fondness for this movie. So tell us, tell us about the first time you saw Mr. Baseball and kind of your relationship to this film. Oh, I guess uh, it's a film that I never really owned as a kid, so it wasn't part of the VHS collection. Um, those movies would tend to be ones I watch repeatedly. This was a movie I remember watching probably on something like HBO or Cinemax. Uh, one of those stations uh, in the early 90s. Around that time, certainly I was uh, really into baseball. You know, uh, in Baltimore, uh, just a few years earlier, you had Camden Yards opening uh, in Baltimore. And as a kid, I would go to a number of games at Memorial Stadium. So I was always a big Orioles fan. You know, it was the heyday of being an Orioles fan. Everything was bright and shiny. Cal Ripken was on mm-hmm. the team. Uh, he would go on to do his. Um, you know, record-breaking run. And uh, I want to say the same year, The Sandlot had come out. So yep. that's a, a movie that a lot of kids uh, probably hold very f- close to their heart. I remember many summers and sleepovers watching that movie on repeat. You know? uh, so Mr. Baseball came out, and I was just absorbing anything kind of like baseball media related and anything new at the time. Uh including this one, you know, always caught my attention. So I remember watching that as soon as I saw, you know, a a baseball diamond, I'll stick around to watch the rest of this movie. And, you know, Mr. Baseball presents baseball in what is kind of like an alien land. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Japan is not a country that was as well known, especially to an adolescent me in the West as it was, as it is currently um, in Japan, you typically uh, would only see small instances of it in, I don't know, revenge of the nerds or mm-hmm. um, uh, what is that? 16 candles or yeah. whatever, just yeah. uh, small snippets of random people who are Japanese in your Hollywood films. Um, the movie itself, you know, ticked off kind of uh uh, what's the term? A, uh, where you're lost, <laughs> where you're like uh, um, in a new world. I'm not sure. Fish out of water. Oh, Fish yeah, out of water. Yeah, yeah. Uh, story. And I think that's very relatable because you yourself don't know anything about what's going on. Uh, so, you know, I think the movie had some decent baseball stuff. There's a, you know, a decent message that lies underneath all of it, albeit kind of misguided in the way they present it. Uh, And something I think is very noticeable in this film is that is a strength compared to many other baseball films, especially one shot in the United States, is that uh, baseball is a massive part of Japanese culture. You know, sumo Mm -hmm. is the official national sport, but baseball honestly really is the national pastime in that country at this point. 
uh, back then and today. Uh, this movie was shot in stadiums. And one of the most striking things is they use real crowds and that stadium is packed with people having a crazy time. Uh, I think that translates very well to an audience member and you kind of get caught up in what's supposed to be this underdog story uh, or redemption arc, agree. you know? Mm-hmm. And I would definitely agree with you there. Yeah. That so that's specifically the way it's shot. Mm-hmm. Is, so that's, is a definitely a, that's a big part of it for me. And I think mm-hmm. you hold a lot more affection for things you enjoy as a child than mm. I'm guessing the both of you watching it for the first time as adults. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, yeah, it's interesting because, you know, Tom Selleck is somebody that I'm you know, familiar with, but not really mm. like deep into the, to the filmography. So like, mm. yeah, we weren't, I, uh, my you know, household was not a Magnum PI family. We were, a, we were a Spencer for <laughs> Spencer for hire family. So, <laughs> Well, he's so. I mean, if you're looking at his filmography, he's obviously coming off Magnum P.I. ends in '88, you know, but he's also doing the Three Men and a Baby, and then you know the Three Men sequel, and um, you know, like he's he's in demand. Like he's not, you know, quickly down under comes out in 1990, but then he does this, and he he's got a twofer here. I mean, in 1992 he does Christopher Columbus: The Discovery, uh, and then he does Mr. Baseball. And so, you know, you've got a situation where I think the the biggest thing that hurts this movie isn't necessarily Tom Selleck, but it feels like this was a movie written with a lot of other movies in mind, right? Like they were just like, oh, Major League was successful. Oh, you know, this other film was successful. Oh, like, let's just follow this specific kind of formula. And the only thing we're going to do is introduce this, this scenario where he goes to Japan, right? Um... But, you know, very much the, the thesis of this movie is... And you don't even go here! That's right. Right. So, right. <laughs> you know, a lot of the intended humor and, uh, you know, conflict is built off of just cultural misunderstandings. Like, there's the whole running thread of his translator, Yoji, basically having to, like, say something else, right? Like, Tom Selleck is out here saying, oh, you know, this is stupid, or, you know, I don't really enjoy this, or, you know, his first, you know, opening line where he's being interviewed, and, you know, they're like, oh, what do you think of Japan? He's like, well, there's lots of little people running around talking very fast, and then, you know, they just got to be like it's a great country and I love and respect, <laughs> you know, everything going on here. And so you, you get the sense that, you know, they really were trying to play up, you know, just that, like you're saying, these are that fish out of water situation, but it kind of falls flat in two instances. One, like it, it seems as if, because this is a movie that, yeah, like you don't really understand baseball in Japan as like, what it is right like you get the sense that it's like oh yeah you know japanese people really enjoy baseball but like you're saying like baseball is like sumo baseball like professional wrestling like those are like the three like japanese like we enjoy these a lot like we take it very seriously the, um the movie itself goes to great lengths to kind of establish that japanese fans especially at the beginning uh or and during the games that they have like an other quality, you know, they're the other. Yeah. Um, so there's numerous shots of them in the crowds. They, they use these um, kind of like cones that they use to make noise as opposed mm-hmm. to like cheering. Um, 
uh, which I guess has kind of become adapted in the United States and other sports games when people use like, I guess, like inflatable, like uh, uh, sticks and stuff. Right. Right. Um, but, you know, there's numerous shots all the way up through the end of the film of them eating yakisoba in the crowd or, yeah. <laughs> you know, eating sushi, eating ramen or whatever. Yeah. Uh, they, they, I really love those shots. Yeah, they, I really I thought that was like a really I thought that was honestly one of the saving graces of this movie for real, for real, that mm-hmm. the games on the field and off the field felt dynamic throughout. Yeah. Like I can't fault the movie. I, I will say, you know, I didn't think the humor was that hilarious. Um, it's a beautiful stadium but, that they, that they shoot in multiple <laughs> You do stadiums. get to see be- a beautiful stadium and you get to see these fans going incredibly nuts, like nuts in a way we just don't here in America for baseball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The closest thing I would say would be if you've ever watched Cuban baseball, um, the crowd's yeah. Yeah. bonkers. And these guys are like literally at their feet with these uh, noise horns and there's confetti everywhere. There's songs, there needs to be more confetti, like, guys. Yeah, American you know. baseball, take out your notepads, more yeah. confetti. <laughs> well, and even, I mean, if you think about something like like soccer, football, mm. right? Mm. You know what I mean? Because like, you know, there's also, they have they have songs and stuff that they sing, For you know, sure. throughout the game and, and other kind of traditions that they do. And I feel like... We've been you chanting know, the white stripes in, yeah. in Baltimore for a, a long time. <laughs> we, get, we get the sense that like, you know, baseball, like people are into baseball and you kind of see, you know, throughout, oh, we're, we're cutting to... I mean, this was, if I had one criticism, this was the part that I was just like, this is a lot. I don't know who's editing this movie, but like those transitions between people watching the game because they would just kind of like cut to the stadium, but then cut to like a random security guard, and then cut to like somebody in an office, like why? And it would just be like this is happening too fast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, it, 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 it was a lot of that. Like I feel like every game was like series of shots, series of shots. But I, I'll give it a little bit of credit. I I knew where I was the whole time. I knew mm-hmm. where I knew how the game was progressing actually, which was. I also thought it was kind of a feat because it's like, yeah, we are looking at like the CEOs and the managers watching the game, but we're also like watching fans. Random guy eats a hot dog, right. yakisoba way in the back, and mm-hmm. it's like it is very like um, uh, flirting, flirting between, flirting between. Yeah, yeah. there is, but, um, there was one. Yeah, it's great visual joke that kind of addresses that uh, at the end of the mm-hmm. film that I think uh, you know, I think actually is actually kind of nice. Uh, at the end of the film, when Jack's agent brings the scout to the game to watch uh, him before they plan to bring him back to the United States, uh, mm-hmm. his scout uh, is sitting in the stands. And every time they do one of those whip away shots back to him, he's eating something else on a stick, like something yeah. different every time. So like, <laughs> I did catch that. The, like, you know, he'll have like, you know, he'll, he'll be eating like a chicken skewer. And then the next time you see him, he's like got a half eaten hot dog on a stick or something. So I remember mm-hmm. thinking that was kind of funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, let's let's talk a little bit about Jack as a as a character in general because mm-hmm. he follows the this is this is a very '90s like I'm just thinking about specifically Adam Sandler movies where it's just like here's a person who we're being told is like you know arrogant and and brash and over the top and they're gonna go through some kind of you know change experience where like something turns them into a better person and yet if you watch the movie and you take it at face value they do a thing one time and then don't really change and then everything works out for them you know what i mean so like jack goes over there 
and things are working out a little bit initially and then you know things take a turn and he's kind of gotta gotta get it together but like even up until the end right like he's very much so not a a different person he doesn't necessarily have a big uh big moment of like really like he realizes that he probably has to change his life in the sense that he can't play baseball forever and so that's why you know he ends up coaching but like again even that that moment where Hiroko is like oh so you you're just gonna leave and go back to America and he's just like yeah is that bad is that not a good good thing to do to just kind of like you can come too you know maybe there's room for you as well and you you get the sense that he's like even though he has done all this stuff you know to kind of ingratiate himself and turn his his game around you know like that was always the goal it was like to just get get out of here and go back to you know where he came from and get back into the major leagues and um it's not that that's not a believable journey you know as a character but it's also like it it never really feels earned because like things just happen for him you know it's just like time to turn it around let's turn it around you know what i mean like beautiful woman glances at him in the beginning of the movie will they get together of course absolutely of course. <laughs> like, and then will will they have any moments of hardship i guess but it doesn't seem to matter because she never <laughs> she's got part, the one yeah. moment of like oh you know I, i'm done with you but then uh he convinces uchiyama to go and like love his daughter I it's guess. literally like the next scene like the, they they pull the rug right from under it's you, you okay here's the big twist of the movie and then it's like let's solve it in the very next scene how about that yeah, yeah. Base, we're, we ran out of time to shoot at the stadium so mm-hmm. we got to wrap this thing up yeah we got to get we got to get him you know coming in but like as as a savior as we categorize our white saviors like he's definitely mm-hmm. is it's, I wouldn't even go as far to say it's accidental, you know what I mean? But it's very much a self-interested journey, you know what I mean? Like well, he does. There's that insertion where he nominates Hammer to take his place yeah. at the end, which mm-hmm. is very unnecessary. Yeah, as opposed to him, <laughs> you know, earning it on his own merit. But right, earning it on his own merit, or even even like because. Like you're saying, it feels like a lot of things just we got to wrap it up, right? So even having yeah. the scene where like they come up and say, oh, Jack, great game. You know what I mean? Like we, we'd love to have you come over. And he kind of has a moment of reflection and says, you know what? I'm going to X, Y, and Z. But, you know, here here's a great player, you know, who you just watched tonight who <laughs> would, would love to come back and play for your team. It's just kind of like, oh, no, we're doing karaoke and here's... <laughs> here's here's all this like you know information that you're going to get at one time yeah, about i am curious though what kind of power does he have as a player to force a scout to take someone else like <laughs> yes you know i mean i feel like it was just like yeah i guess we he's came all the way out here guy. so he's gotta be we got a guy he i mean we get the we get you know some bit of he backstory that he was guy. a yeah. he, well he was a well they knew a each former other. world series mvp yeah. and well like, they knew you know, each other because like, like he shook his hand and yeah you know, so they're aware but also if you think about that last game where he was there he never got a chance to do any hitting you know he's no. a guy that was walked uh intentionally walked the entire game until the very end yeah so he's he, it's right. not like he had an opportunity to show off at all no uh and speaking of not getting an opportunity to show off the entire dragons team kind of feels like also rans in this movie because you really <laughs> only get to know jack uh, you get to know Dennis Haysbert a little bit, 
Um, And then there's the captain of the team who gets the most like dialogue and like screen time out of everybody. A little, a little bit of English, you know. Yeah, a little bit of English and like a couple of knowing glances. Yeah, he he calls. He calls Jack a jackass. So there's jackass (laughs) directly though. He's like on site. I don't like you. And he says it in English, Everybody but else. they subtitle it anyway. <laughs> and it's very strange, too. I was like, why that choice? And it's also, some of the subtitling in this movie is pretty random. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's intentional. Like, obviously, you don't subtitle things that you're going to be told later or, you know, things that you can infer or things like that. But sometimes I'm just left. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's interesting, too, because, I mean like you're saying clearly they were they were leaning on you know the more prominent english speakers in the cast i guess but there doesn't seem to be because even so even this moment where we're getting the sense of like camaraderie and they're coming together you know we get a little moment where the the team captain gets to like actually talk and he comes up to jack and he's giving him this you know we love you this is great you know please break uchiyama's record and it's all a ruse so they can light a shoe on fire uh, as a prank, but like more of those moments, I think would have gone a long way to kind of give us a sense of because in a team movie, right, in a sports movie, right, like you're kind of even if you're not getting you know down to the last man on the team, you are getting a sense of like the personalities on the team. Like there's different people who are kind of playing these different roles, and really, I don't recall any other player on the team. You know, there's the one pitcher who like gets to say something in the last game, you know, during the game. Yeah. Yeah. But before that, I, I don't know if I'd even seen him before. (laughs) (laughs) If I even had a moment because we, we really see them in the training, like even in the montage where we're kind of getting, Oh, you know, Jack's back. Like they're out in town, you know, kind of like walking around and people are high-fiving them and, and giving them praise. But it's like, it would have been nice to see either a more of that tension with the who I assume was the star player of the team, the captain of the team. I don't I assume he's good at baseball, but I really didn't get to see him do anything of note. Um, and and two, just kind of like because it seems like they just tolerate Jack, right? Like Jack is around and because he's a big American star, like they're not going to go at him per se. Right. But they're also not like. He's not doing any work to, you know, bring himself into the team, but they also don't seem to be, like, hanging out with him or, like, trying to, you know, even just a moment where, yeah, like, here's here's just another going out with the team. Yeah. Yeah. He might might be brash. He might be angry, but they're shrugging off his antics as, like, white boy American antics. Yeah. Or even just, like, he seems to be one of many American players, I assume, who have kind of come through and he's going to be here and then he's not going to be here. And we don't really seem to have any real need to invest ourselves in getting to know him when he's just going to be gone in a couple of months. Um, You know, but it would have been fun to kind of see him like going out with, with the team as kind of like a team building situation. He was, he was, wasn't building it. Wasn't doing any team team building. He was trying to build something with uh, his lady friends. So, (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to talk a little he bit about... He was trying about... to build that chopstick. He was trying to build that bridge. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about these these the foundation of this film, which is these cultural differences that they try to, to bring up and infer. And, like, on the one hand, it's very 
basic and broad, right? Like I'd say uh, a lot of like the cultural stuff that they uh, kind of showed as being differences and the things that Jack experiences throughout the film, uh, like you said, is, is very broad. It's not very deep at all. There is a similarity that these elements have to, uh, I don't know if you guys have ever seen it, but Big Bird goes to Japan. <laughs> so, I wish I, I want to. <laughs> so basically it was a 1980s Sesame Street special where Big Bird goes to Japan and he walks around and he discovers oh, I'm stuff. familiar with this. Yeah. So there's yes. also one where he goes to China and like, it's, yes. there's a famous one where he's And walking. I think I've seen that one actually yeah. to tell you the truth. So like the Japan one is basically like third grade, what kids in third grade would know about Japan. You know, there's wax food outside of a restaurant. Kids mm-hmm. wear uniforms to school. No, there's a lot of. It's an island, so they eat a lot of fish. Like very simple kind of stuff. Nothing mm-hmm. of any. Uh, nothing of any real uh, value or right. you know, weight. Yeah, real weight. Well, because it, it feels like it's it's broad, but also it's not not accurate, right? You it's know it's I mean? very like, take it's it. a very old expectation of what japan is the yeah the idea of a baseball team being so uh kind of uptight in the way everything was running there is very inaccurate to how baseball was in japan before that and during that time there's certainly a lot more fun to be had um in the players of that game as opposed to the version that they present in this movie Oh, for sure. Well, because it, it, it is this there's tons of highlights you can find of like Pacific League and Central League Japanese baseball. That is, you know, them having tons of fun, going wild. You know, it's yeah, it's it's a very manicured version that we're seeing here. So yeah, well, because I mean, Uchiyama is 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 presented as like taskmaster, you know, just like my way the highway kind of you know manager of the team. But it does kind of clash with, like, they're presenting us this again this very broad and like back and forth look at Japan, where at once it's like, you know, these people are very serious and it's all about like honor and respect and like discipline and all of this stuff. But also like these commercials are crazy and like look at the food they eat and like you know all these other like whack. Look at what they're doing in the stands. Like this is wacky, isn't it? And you're kind of getting these polar opposite looks of like you know Japan is. Um, you know, like very serious, strict culture, but also like on TV, there's a guy who puts a firecracker up his nose and like, that's entertainment, you know, and you're kind of like, boy, is I it? don't, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what you're trying to tell me about Japan, you know, because you're, you're giving me these very two sided and even like, you know, he does the, he does the commercial, um, you know, and it's a very Japanese commercial. And that's the thing that's kind of confusing is like, there's accuracy in what you're seeing, right? There's accuracy in like, yeah, you know, we take off our shoes when we go into, you know, buildings, right? Like we're not going to wear, you know, your shoes from outside inside or again, the this, this scene where he's slurping the noodles. It's like, yeah, no, you do do that. Like, you know, the slurping is a sign of respect or a sign of like, I'm, I'm enjoying my meal, right? Like different things like that are accurate, but they're portrayed in a way that's like, isn't this wacky and strange that people do these things as opposed yeah, to just like more silly annoyances to him than actual grievances yeah like they're not they're not going to really impact him he's just like I, i'm mad that i can't even pour my own drink how oh, <laughs> i guess i gotta go back to the hotel oh. well and then he he'll blatantly 
once he learns about something, he'll blatantly do the opposite to disrespect the people around him. Right. right? They're like, we don't spit on the field because it's sacred. Oh, okay, I'm going to spit right I'm now. Doing <laughs> it right now in your face. Yeah, I mean, do? you know, we we don't we don't pour or you don't pour your own drink. And then you know, in the in the dinner scene with uh, Uchiyama, Hiroko goes to like he he pour, he puts his cup out and Uchiyama puts his cup out. So it's just like, who am I going to pour, you know, either my father or my, you know, like guy that Boyfriend. I'm sleeping with, you know? Yeah. I don't even know if they're, <laughs> what they would categorize that is. But then when she doesn't pour his drink, he's like, fine, I'm going to pour my drink, yeah. you know, in the middle of this meal. So it seems like he is getting an understanding of some of the cultural things, but yeah. then will immediately turn around and say, I think this is dumb and I'm going to do whatever I want to do anyways. Yeah, I mean, it's more of a disgruntled energy, like, the whole time. Yeah. I'm just disgruntled. I'm just unhappy. Why yeah. am I here? I'd rather go back any day. He's like a petulant right. child a little bit, yeah. honestly. I mean, her, uh, Hiroko's, uh, I guess, turning point for him is she tells him to just grow up, and, you know, that's the last time they see yeah. each other for a while. <laughs> so, I mean, you, yeah. you mentioned Adam Standler earlier, um, and, you know, he certainly falls into that man-child category. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he is very challenged by people who don't want to back down to him because like you said, yeah. you know, he's uh, oh, a sure. former star and, and all, and all of this, he's used to getting his way, especially the United States where like the bravado certainly seemingly goes a lot further than uh, uh, it's taken him pretty far in life so far and just mm-hmm. isn't really uh, passing mustard for where he is currently. Well, and it's interesting, too, because there's a small nugget of, like, an interesting story in here where very clearly, at least how Tom Selleck is trying to to play it and portray it is, like, aging baseball star, I'm, you know, losing my identity as, like, baseball player, the man. You know, So, like you're saying, Caesar, like, I'm resistant to all this stuff because, like, I'm not ready to give it up and let go. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to hold on to whatever it is I can. And yet, you know, like, instead of doing something where it's like, oh, you know, okay, like, I've come to Japan, it still would have been a weird, like, you know, uh, white man goes to the East to find himself and rediscover his purpose, et cetera, whatever kind of story. But, like, instead of him, like, embracing Japan and, like, not even just cultural differences, but, like, cultural in general, right? Like, there's never a moment where he's, like, oh, I get it. You know, I get this, you know, I get why, you know, people are doing this or even like, this isn't necessarily my culture, but like, I respect you. And so like, yeah, I'll do whatever this is. And I'm not going to bitch about it because it, you know, I, I don't like doing, you know, whatever, you know, cause like even the, the whole, there's multiple instances. And I guess this is just an American view of Japan even though I guess it's not a view I ever really held, but I, I guess this is what people thought at the time. 30, 30 all these years jokes ago, about, you know? So. Yeah, all these jokes about, <laughs> oh, like the gross food. Oh, you know, like, I don't, don't give me that raw fish. I don't eat that. I don't want to eat, you know, whatever it is. And so, like... Yeah, he's, you're you know, right, though. He's only, in that, exists, in that instance, he's only accepting of things he understands, right? So he understands steak. Yeah. He understands... Yeah. Uh, even though he says he doesn't understand women. I mean, obviously, he's a right. bit of a ladies' man, right? Um, yeah, <laughs> he literally existed, and Hiroko was like that one. <laughs> that one. Well, it's weird too because, like, speaking to that relationship, she is positioned as like, give, given 
maybe like one or two moments of pushback, you know, like a- after the temple, you know, he, he sure. says something and she's like, you know, all right, I'm done with you. I'm over this. And then he gives her a speech about, he doesn't, he, he, he's accepted things about himself. And one of them is he's not great with women. And she's like, yeah, that's not really an excuse, but also, <laughs> like, yeah. I guess. Well, I like that she didn't back down from that. She wasn't like, so? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, doing research after watching the film for this, uh, I found a handful of deleted scenes from the Japanese cut yeah. of the movie. So there's two scenes specifically where uh, Jack and Hiroko are together on one of their excursions, right? So uh, mm-hmm. one of the scenes you know, is typically a, well, not necessarily an excursion. One of them is a scene where she kind of uh, kind of foreshadows that uh, because she is an independent woman that her father doesn't really get her. Uh, she doesn't name yeah. him, of course, because that's a reveal that happens later on in the film. But one of the other instances, it, one of the other deleted moments is a scene where she actually drives him back to his apartment after their argument, after the commercial discussion. Yeah. So uh, she has a line where she says something like, uh, do a lot of girls cheer for you at in stands? Do you see them a lot or whatever? So he, she kind of dumbfounds him a little bit in that yeah. moment. It's uh, not a scene that necessarily adds much to the film, if anything <laughs> at all. Um, I think the Japanese cut specifically tried to add just more moments with the Japanese leads. So one of the other ones right. is an extended Ken Takakura moment So in mm-hmm. the cemetery. And I mean, Caesar, break break this down for us in a way that you know people unfamiliar with Japanese film might understand. Because specifically speaking to uh, Ken Takakura, like this is his two hundredth movie. Like, like Mr. Baseball was the two hundredth movie that he's been in. So if you're if you're trying to give us an American comparison, like what level of movie star is he in Japan? Um, well, let's see. Uh, I guess it's kind of hard. I mean qualitatively qualitatively there isn't really an equivalent because a lot of japanese well you'd see a lot of that in the golden age of hollywood Um, a lot of actors were signed to certain studios and you were required to appear uh, especially as a younger talent in certain number of films so a lot of times there'd be a lot of actors who would appear in movies but they'd just be background side characters if you're in a samurai film you just happen to be a patron in the bar you're talking like Mm -hmm. denzel washington and cheers that kind of moments you know yeah uh if I were to consider his level of stardom at that time, I'd say he's probably closer to someone like Robert Redford. Um, mm-hmm. Now he is certainly departed at this point, a few years right now, but he's a guy that uh, his uh, experience and legacy in Japanese film is still very much felt today. Uh, he was, I don't know, it'd be like, yeah, what if Robert Redford died, right? Or Gene Hackman or yeah. whoever, but he's certainly more of a sex uh, sex icon. So Robert Redford is probably more astute than uh, the Hackman of comparison. <laughs> but just imagine if Robert Redford was in a random Japanese baseball movie as like the natural. Yeah. No, but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but just, but just like, just uh, like a character, you know what I mean? Like not, I mean, I, I guess he gets top billing. Like he's not the lead. Yeah. He he's gets top billing in this film. Yeah. Only in the sense that like, the rest of the cast is Japanese besides, you know, that happens. Uh, Dennis Haysburg's. That happens today though. Right now, there are a lot of yeah. um, international films that will have a big Hollywood talent to show up in a movie, just albeit for a very short, probably not even in the same room shot on green screen yeah. moment. 
Right. Uh, do, you, do you have an example, actually? Uh, well, there's a movie called... Uh, gosh, it's... I'm trying to remember what it's called. Uh, well, it's a Korean movie that details uh, a certain operation uh, where uh, South Korean soldiers and groups of young teenage soldiers are set about to distract Chinese and North Korean uh, uh, platoons in order to get mm-hmm. General MacArthur, who's played by Liam Neeson, to bring <laughs> to to like buy him time in order to bring an assault to Korea. But they don't know if the Americans are actually going to um, come through with this. They're just doing it on the belief that they are. So the movie also okay. has Megan Fox, but I can't remember what the title of the movie is because it's oh. it's it's <laughs> awful. Uh, and Liam Neeson, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the movie stars actually uh, Lee Jung Jae, who people would know from. Oh, Squid, Game. Squid Game, yeah, he's the he's yeah. the star of this film, um, and it's a shame because it's you know, he's all right, the action's all right, but the movie is just yeah. really poorly put together, and it seems like it's yeah. mounted around. It does feel that it's mounted around Megan Fox and the weird, <laughs> you know, uh, forty five seconds that exist of Lee and Neeson in this movie. Yeah, yeah. ridiculous. Forty five seconds. Well, like there's a couple scenes where you see his face, but a lot of times he shot from behind. So obviously a body double mm-hmm. was used. Like there's a moment where Lee Jung Jae kind of salutes MacArthur or uh, uh, yeah, MacArthur mm-hmm. and you only see the back of him, And then you see like Liam Neeson go like uh, a salute, but you don't see anyone else in the shot. So it was just like, a, like shoulder and up. So obviously he probably shot wow. in his bathroom or sure. You know? Back secured. Back secured. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I was actually thinking of the um, Mike Tyson and the Ip Man sequel. Actually, uh, he's he has a whole fight sequence in that one. <laughs> well, uh, Mike Tyson, though, he, uh, I guess recently, he had a weird amount of ha- uh, Chinese language like movies that exist for him. So it's <laughs> it's it's really bad. He would be. He would be. In yeah. Uh-huh. Well, it's, it's just interesting because when you think about those instances, the mo- like those are like the movie's called oh, Operation Chromite. Okay, <laughs> sounds like Operation Nomite for mm, me. Mm. <laughs> well, it's was just... not my best material. <laughs> it's interesting though, because when you think about those examples, what you're talking about is like you know those studios probably paid big money to have Liam Neeson be in, you in. know however many minutes of your sure. movie. Where <laughs> I assume that this Kentakakora was kind of like, I don't think there was a bag involved. Like I don't think they offered him you know, a, a big payday a big to come bag, and be yeah. in this movie. Yeah, probably I think not. Just like, like... In Japan, you know, the budgets that exist there compared to the United States are astronomically different. Yeah. You know, a, a movie like uh, Mr. Baseball, albeit with how simple it is, a location shoot everything, it probably costs $10 million to make, you know? A $10 million mm. budget in Japan at that time would have been one of their, like, that's something that they would give to, like, a big effects-laden extravaganza. Right. You know? Oh, wow. So even today, you but, know, a budget like that high is pretty tough to come by. You know, you'd have to be like a Toei or Godzilla or something like that in order to right. command mm-hmm. you know, a budget mm-hmm. in the double digits these days. Hmm. Well, speaking of budget, this movie had a budget of forty million. Oh, way more than I thought. So, uh, and anybody want to guess what the box office was for it? I feel like it probably did like worldwide ninety or something like that. I feel like it probably did even less, honestly, because I, I feel like I heard about this movie and then I stopped hearing about it. Yeah. Do you have a guess, Cameron? 
ballpark I'll say, ballpark estimate. I'll say it recouped. I'll say it's like forty one. Twenty million eight hundred eighty three thousand dollars. So uh, not not looking good for Mister Baseball <laughs> in terms of a uh, getting that money back. It's very, it's yeah, very forgotten mean, though. You think about it, right? Yeah. Makes sense. It, it's a very strange like tone that it's trying to go for because it is. It, it seems like it's billed as like a pretty like run of the mill. And it, this is back in the nineties when we made comedies. But uh, this seems like a run of the mill like kind of silly comedy drama more mm-hmm. even a comedy honestly but the movie you end up watching is more of a drama and has some really oddly placed slapstick moments and yep. maybe like the whole fish out of water thing but it doesn't really feel like i'm i don't think i even like uh-huh, maybe like <laughs> once or twice honestly well speaking to that hey <laughs> let's let's talk about the making of this movie because one of the more interesting things that you will find about it is that like i said there's a lot of people with writing credits on this there's theo uh pelletier john junkerman gary ross kevin wade and monte merrick and the reason for that is initially uh, according to fred skepsi the director this was a baseball comedy kind of in the same realm as major league right like Major League had come out in 1989. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they were thinking about ways to kind of do that. And so this was one of the things that was pitched as kind of like a a story about, you know, these clashing cultures, right? Mm -hmm. And so Theo Pelletier was the first writer, right? He was, he kind of gave you that first script. Um, And so after that, it was passed over to Monte Merrick and Gary Ross, and they were kind of like there to punch it up and, and give it, you know, a little bit more zip, right? But then Skepsi came onto the project. Tom Selleck had already been cast as the lead of the movie. And in his contract, he had a clause that basically said he had final approval over the script, right? Tom and Selleck so has final Tom, approval? Tom Selleck had final approval. Uh, okay. So <laughs> after that, that's when another screenwriter comes in, Kevin Wade, doing another run on it, right? But then after that, there was a takeover of Universal Studios um, by uh, Matsushita, which is not Panasonic. Um, and they had some concerns just about cultural sensitivity and wanted to really not make this like too broad of a comedy. Um, so they recruited John Juckerman, who they say is an experienced writer and director of films about Japan, to rework it along with Skepsi. And then a fourth screenwriter, Ed Solomon, traveled to Japan to do research and then came back and wrote the script again, right? They rewrote the entire script after that trip. So like, this is just like a a constant write after rewrite after rewrite, again, of a movie that's like, not a lot going on, like very basic story, very basic (laughs) script, very basic jokes, you know? Like there's a joke about the the urinals, there's a joke about, you know, like again, a lot of a lot of food jokes. The the thing I'll give this movie credit for, right? We're talking about the nineties and this is, you know, bound to happen in a lot of films. There's no penis jokes. <laughs> you know, there's no joke where Tom Selleck is, is peeing next to, you know, his teammates and kind of looks over and like gives a chuckle or whatever. There's no uh even though uh, Hiroku does give Tom Selleck a massage in the bath there's no like Asian Oriental massage jokes that yeah. you know obviously they could have put in there. There's a lot of short jokes, um, and there's jokes about the food, 
but I think those are probably the most culturally insensitive and offensive things in the movie. Like, there's never anything that's just like, what? <laughs> What's yeah, happening? I was actually really thankful to see that after having seen as many of these as we've mm-hmm. seen. I think a lot of that I probably was, has. It was a breath of fresh yeah, air. I think probably <laughs> yeah. a lot of that has to do uh, with the fact that they were shooting it locally in Japan too, though. You know? Yeah, I think right. it, had that same thing happened in. You know, the United States in a minor league setting, certainly he'd be a lot more, uh, I don't know. Yeah. He, you know, cool, cool runnings esque. I don't know. Like, right. <laughs> well, cause it's never, it never gets into, I mean, again, that, that bath scene is probably as raunchy as it gets. You know, there's never any moments where it's just kind of like, you know, Tom Selleck is uh, <laughs> just having like a drunken tirade or anything like that. And even just like, um, you know, language-wise, like, there's a weird scene where the managers of the Yankees are just saying goddamn every other word, but besides mm. that, like, there's nothing else that's just, like... That was, like, the weirdest joke in the whole first half. I was like, I don't, wow. yeah, it, we're not even keeping up with it, it's just weird. It was, and, the, it was... and the repeated spitting, I was like, I feel like this is supposed to be slapstick, it's supposed to be, like, yeah. a little much, but it's just, it just lands like a ton of bricks. Well, that's why, I mean, this does feel like a movie that was written by five people, you know, yeah. even even in terms of the jokes, where it's just kind of like, you know, I, I'm sure there was some salvaging of humor from from script to script, but right. you have Skepsi, uh, this is a quote that he gave about the movie, that it was supposed to be about cultural differences using the baseball game, but also there was much funnier stuff. When he goes down to see the father and there's the noodle scene, all of that, that's kind of the humor that could have been throughout the whole film. Again, the studio, Tom Selleck had script approval, which I didn't realize when I agreed to do it. I went to help them out. They didn't understand it, so they pulled it into the conventional. Which again, I mean, if he's thinking the high humor is the scene where Tom Selleck is slurping noodles very loudly, yeah. like I, I don't think I had hope for any other <laughs> yeah. parts of this movie, but... Ed you Solomon know. is a—he's like one of those screenwriters that he does. He did the Bill and Ted movies, yeah. So those could like these could be. This seems like it was on the trajectory to be something a little bit more lighthearted and silly, and yeah. it ended up being this like halfway to Moneyball, but not quite on the move there. Yeah, kind of savvy baseball drama, but mm-hmm. it was—it didn't get. It never got off the rocking. It never got off the rocket pad. You know what I yeah. mean? Well, so I mean, as Caesar was saying though, like this is a movie that the the thing that they did the best was the filming of the the actual baseball games, right? Yeah. And so like you have, these... I actually have to agree. It's like it, yeah. it makes it makes the movie come alive. It, it, yeah. It, um, there's repeated angles from like you're seeing like cameras in the mitt almost. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one, I think you kind of watch a curveball from the pitcher's mound. Yeah. And that's exciting to see. Like you, you can't front on this movie for that at all. Well, they filmed, you know, a lot of the prominent scenes at the Nagoya stadium, which is the home of the, or the former home of the real life, uh, Chinichi dragons. And apparently thousands of local extras volunteered to just sit in the stands during the filming. Even there was like a typhoon at one point and they were like, we're here for this. We want to do this. So, Let's like, go. that's that's yeah. how fanatical <laughs> baseball is. Uh, fans in Japan, yeah, yeah, we'll yeah. That, that stadium, as I understand it, is still currently their training facility, though. So, mm-hmm. 
yeah i mean it's interesting just to kind of see like that's another thing i would have liked more of is really just like him interacting with the fans you know and that kind of yeah. like fanatical nature of just like oh, baseball is is big it's a serious thing one thousand percent yeah we kind of don't get any of that more so like there's the one moment where he's being interviewed when he's like on the home run streak uh mm-hmm. and that's about as much as we get of him kind of like interacting you know because there's even like the the mr baseball like animation that they have when he yeah. hits a home run and like other kind of like interesting quirky things that it would have been i'm sure there was a mr baseball song that they came up with and like all kinds of other stuff but like we don't really get to see that side yeah. of you know i feel the, like it's a, just a bit of a missed opportunity a little bit mm-hmm. um the movie's what like an hour 40 like a hundred yeah. an hour hour 48 which is way too long yeah but yeah <laughs> way too a, long a well because most of that is the the relationship you know, like yeah, we, you know, him and we had Hiroko to go to the kinda, we had that scene where she's giving him the bath is like five minutes. Yeah, of I was like, like where is he going? She's, she's giving like, him that. She's giving here. him that Zen knowledge. That yeah, <laughs> <laughs> she's rubbing it in on chest hairs. <laughs> um, I mean, another thing, interesting okay. thing to note is specifically about the the baseball itself mm. is that Tom Selleck did do spring training with the detroit tigers oh yeah your boy's out here he's getting it he was yeah i mean he's in he's he's in pretty crazy shape for someone at at that age though you know even as an actor yeah right right so Mm -hmm. that's why i expected the movie to be a little bit more serious because like this guy's actually in shape to play it looks like he did spring training yeah he's he's hitting like he's hitting some diggers out there you know it's Mm -hmm. i don't know if he's getting any home runs but he's definitely like doing it and that's great Hollywood stuff is like seeing the actors actually do the thing. I, yeah. I'm, I'm not a fan of doubles. I mean, right. do it when you got to. I understand. We're not all Tom Cruise out here. I get it. But seeing the actor do the thing is so much fun every time. Yeah. Well, well Toshi Shioya, who was uh, Yoji in the movie, mm. claims that Tom Selleck, you know, 80% of the time could could hit a home run like on command, like when they would throw him. I think that's so, lost. Like, I think that was lost in translation. I definitely don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it certainly is capable. Well, about it, percent, though, I mean, I don't know. Are we pitching? Are we pitching yeah, a T-ball over here? Hey, I don't know. Hey, your boy, Maybe. your boy's talking pretty spicy. Eighty <laughs> percent. Well, I mean, the thing about it too is you that in Japan, <laughs> yeah, in Japan, the the fields are smaller. You know, what I mean, like not like considerably, but definitely, you know, oh, not yeah, yeah. not American. You know, regulation. Yeah, those pitchers are definitely so, like, lobbing it to like Tom Tommy Boy over there. Oh, though, for sure. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, it wasn't even as far as like he actually got into a, a spring training game to, you know, hit and didn't get a hit. You know, he managed to foul off like a pitch or two. You can watch it. It's on YouTube. There's like footage of Tom Selleck like in a game for real. And then he eventually okay. strikes out. But like, <laughs> you know, he was he was really out here living, living the character. Um, yeah. And uh, you know, he is from Detroit, so obviously he ends up on the Detroit Tigers at the end of the movie. So that's kind of like, I'm sure that was his call of like, <laughs> I'm going to be on the Tigers, right? Like eventually, because he was he did spring training with the Tigers, and I think that was kind of his deal. It's pretty interesting he, he wanted that to... like they have Major League and Pacific and Central League teams in this movie, though. Yeah, you know, I think. I mean, they, there's so many. They there's mo- so many examples of them, of films, baseball films specifically, where they just make up a team or, you know, right. For sure. 
Yeah, and I could see I could see Japan, you know, being like, oh yeah, and you know, Hollywood American movie, big movie star Tom Selleck, like please, you know, Chinichi Dragons, like get all that stuff out there. Um, but yeah, it is surprising that you know Major League Baseball was like, sure, you can have the Yankees or Yankees, the Tigers, <laughs> you know, the Dodgers, the, Dodgers. the the Dodgers, like yeah, all these other things. That's like, wild. Um, this is also that I was also the, like a couple of years before the player strike though too, so maybe things yeah, were a lot right. easier before then. Who knows? <laughs> well, so in terms of the reception of this movie, you know, like we said, it, it did make a lot of money, um, but we'll we'll talk a little bit. Of, we'll play our favorite game in just a bit about you know the what what people rated this movie on all the different review sites, um, but in terms of the box office one of the interesting things to note is that when it came out it came in third behind last of the mohicans and mighty ducks right <laughs> and so like it was it was another big sports movie had come out you know the same weekend as this came out um right. and you know it kind of got lost in that shuffle uh it only ran in theaters for six weeks and it only grossed about 20 million domestically. Um, but they were really hoping that they were going to push this thing in Japan and it was going to be a big movie over there. Um, but in the opening weekend in Japan, uh, in 1993, it grossed 1.5 billion yen, which translates to $1.25 million. That's uh, nothing. <laughs> so it, it really did not even hit, with the Japanese who, you know, were supposedly supposed to be like the big, you know, market for this movie. 40 um, million is, like I said, 40 million is way too much to recoup that. It's just in the Japanese market. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so like it, it kind of did become an obscure film in a sense of like, you know, again, we're talking about this period of time where you have field of dreams, you have the natural, you have Bill Durham, you have a league of their own, you have the sandlot, you have, you know, like a bunch of these baseball movies. Uh, and this one attempts to do something a little bit different, you know, introducing Japanese baseball and like trying to do this fish out of water story, but seemingly is like the, the, I hate to call it the worst of them all, but it's definitely the least memorable of all those movies I just listed off. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think I'd have to agree. It's the least, I'll say it's the least interesting. Yeah. Um, Sadly, so, even though despite the, you know, Japanese setting, maybe, you know, the scenes at the ballparks, mm-hmm. but honestly, as a plot and as a, I don't know, it, and it just misses its mark of trying to be a comedy. You know, yeah. the swing for the fences comedy, forgive the mm-hmm. pun, but yep. it, it falls so flat that, you know, other movies have already filled that void. You got two yeah. major league movies. Why are you going to watch right. this one? Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's also um, do a little bit of revision now that we've, we've kind of gone through this whole movie, because another interesting thing to know is just like, since this movie has come out, Japanese baseball you know, obviously continue to grow in Japan, but now over here in America, you know, there's been a ton of just stellar Japanese baseball players, um, including the latest Shohei Otani, who's like maybe the greatest, you know, baseball player alive today. He is a monster. (laughs) Like for real. So like you think about Japanese baseball and it's, it's continued expansion. Even now, you know, South Korean baseball too is, is a big thing. Um, And like that, introduction like there's definitely a way to do this movie where 
if I had to pitch it, I would just do the inverse of a Japanese baseball player coming to America and, you know, those cultural differences and kind of how those things play out because, you know, it's not even, there is a difference right in the game. Like they, they allude to it a little bit. They don't really explain the rules of Japanese baseball too well because it's ostensibly the same game, but there is, there are ties, right? So you can tie. Uh, There's also just other strange rules that have to do with like how long a game can go on, you know, like it can't go on past, it's, I think like it's three little hours league or rules, so. you know? Yeah. Uh, so there's different things like that, but, uh, and also like, yeah, the dimensions of the field, but like having, you know, a Japanese baseball player specifically too, because the thing about how a lot of this works is like the Japanese baseball players tend to be like, the the prospects of a bidding war right like a bunch of teams are like we'll give you a crazy amount of money usually the yankees usually the Yankees are like how much money can we give you uh but even teams like you know shohotani's on the angels who typically are not a big spending team but like it's that know, disney money that disney ability- money though man right <laughs> <laughs> the ability to 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 land a player like that could potentially be franchise changing and so teams will say i will give you whatever you want well you're talking about like i mean Uh, angels won a championship within the last 10 years right so i mean yeah yeah it's it's not like they were you know like the cleveland indians in major league you know they're they're a team that was on the up right they weren't (laughs) yeah for sure that's a point you you can invest especially with a fandom like yeah like like they have in like uh, california so uh, but I would like to see I'd like to see a movie and you could make it a comedy. You know, what I mean, like you've got hotshot Japanese baseball player who's trying to be wooed by, you know, all these different teams and he's traveling around the country. And like you could have a little bit of the drama about, OK, you know, I'm leaving home and, you know, maybe I have a family here. And what does that mean for me to either relocate alone, you know, without, you know, my loved ones or uproot my whole family to move to because, yeah, sometimes you go to New York right sometimes you go to random you know you go to pittsburgh you go to like you know a place that's not anywhere close to any place in japan and it's like how do you how do you have that you know just large change in not only just your day-to-day life but now like you are the center of attention in maybe the small town right like if you go to cleveland like you're gonna be if you're really good, you know what I mean? Or you go to Detroit, right? Like you're the, the mm-hmm. center of the Tigers. Like that's going to be a ton of attention and expectations on you. Um, and maybe you have, cause you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of weird stuff. Even recently with Shohei Otani, like a lot of people are like, well, how can he be this big star? He doesn't even speak English, even though he does speak English. And like, <laughs> you know, that also shouldn't matter because like he's got an interpreter and you can, he wants to talk to you. You can definitely communicate with him. It's not like you're never going to understand what he's saying or like anything like that. But even just that, right? Like you're, how many video game covers are you on? You know? Right. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, having, but even that, you know, kind of, you can have a little bit of the language barrier where it is like, you know, I do understand English, but yeah, you know, I'm trying to, have these conversations or, you know, like get to know this place that I'm living in. And it is difficult for me sometimes to communicate with, you know, the people that I'm, I'm trying to, you know, build and be community with. So 
I think that would be a probably a more interesting movie in general. It's just like let's let's flip it around and reverse it and kind of see what that's like coming in, you know, on the opposite side. Um, but Caesar, what do you think? Is there well, a way you, that you would like to see Mr. Baseball? Well, you know, made? the plot you described actually sounds a lot like the film Yesterday from Danny Boyle, the Beatles kind of yeah. music thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, I don't know if that would work for it. Uh, just <laughs> I, baseball, you know, you, it's a game that's about traveling, right? So I think you yeah. need the story you, you get is especially if you're going to do a reverse in the United States, you know, so many different parts of the country are so different. You're going to need to find a way mm-hmm. to create a story that America is a puzzle and each puzzle piece goes together to form the American experience. So it would be right. some, I mean, mm-hmm. maybe something like a mini series where, you know, something they will learn about the history of, you know, the, uh, I would say you would probably start somewhere in California, right? Because considering like they, if you're talking about a Japanese or an Asian player, uh, California for most people, California, the West Coast, you know, Washington, uh, that would be the place where a lot of Asian, uh, Asian families, Asian American families, where their descent has come from, um, the West. Mm-hmm. So you would start there. That's your first puzzle piece, and then. You know, separate other places. You would go to like you know Louisiana, or you know, make up a team down there, and you know, talk mm-hmm. about how you know the first Asian uh, market ever in the United States was in Louisiana, or and then you go all the way up to other other places that have little pockets that you know that would you know illuminate what it means to be an American, and you know maybe have mm-hmm. a bit of a short circuit kind of finale. I guess that's. Yeah. I just, that's my, that's my expectation. So, yeah. Cameron, what do you think? I I like the short circuit reference there. Um, (laughs) 80s kid, man. You got to bring it. All day, all day. Well, Um, let's, let's forgive the white guy pretending to be an Indian though. (laughs) (laughs) We can forgive him this time. Um, or we can't yeah, really, let's... actually. We can't. <laughs> With the Set it aside. Set, set it aside. Podcast. <laughs> um, I say for um, Mr. Baseball, if I wanted to reimagine it, honestly, you know how I feel, Jordan. These mm. love stories, what are we doing here? Oh, yeah. It's so, it's so easy. It's so easy. Get that out of here. All those scenes, replace them with scenes where he's not so, like, goofily learning the differences between like American baseball and Japanese baseball, you know, um, not having your shoes on once you're out of the pitch, things like that. Yeah. Sure. Like let's learn that stuff. Cause that is important. And that's like why we're here, you know, mm-hmm. doing this. Right. So let's have those, but like, let's also like learn about the characters through those moments. You could have three or four of those scenes. You'd feel a little bit more invested in like, the trajectory of the team, right? If you learned about a couple of people on them, and you can still keep the stuff with the coach, like it's not even that hard. It's funny, like five people wrote on this movie, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, sure, this draft is fine, but if anything, replace all that stuff. You've got right. 11, 12 interesting characters to make up. You don't even have to talk to all of them. I yeah. talked to three or four, and I think that's a good. I think that's a good time. And then you'd have like, you know, and it's a team, so he's definitely gonna have rifts with those people. So mm-hmm. like, keep that stuff up. That it's not that hard. 
five screenwriters right. in this movie. It's not that hard, guys. Well, even even just thinking about like if you switch at the end, obviously, like I guess hooray for Allstate that he gets to go back to America. But like, shout out to Hazelberg getting it. I'm with it. But you know, even having like the team captain be the one that they're like, oh, we came out to see you, but like this guy's actually really good, you know, yeah. and like you know he's. 10 years younger than you and like you know i you know maybe a little sinister we can get him you know cheaper than than any of you but like also you know just having one of the japanese players be the one that gets to go back to america and be you know part of the dodgers or whatever instead of just like you know yeah because like the thing about they make japan seem like one punishment like you're here (laughs) because you're not good enough to play in america and like it's it's so exotic and different like you'll you'll never get used to you know because there's the same jokes about oh you know i'm sleeping in a shoebox and um you know all these other things but it's just like japan is nice like japan right. is like, a like really i was nice shocked place. i was <laughs> lo- i was legit shocked when he made that joke that it was like looks a lot like cleveland and i was like shut up yeah you've never seen <laughs> what cleveland, are you though? talking about yeah. you've never a you've never been to cleveland b yeah. Japan, you've obviously just drove around like from the airport to the the ball the ballpark. Yeah, you sh- shut up. How dare you even say <laughs> well, anything about this? Uh, this place? That movie does a really something I do like about this uh, about this film is that uh, so many times uh, Japan for a lot of people is just Tokyo. So the fact that right. the setting mm, is mm. Nagoya, which is at that time. Uh, you know, Japan was coming out of like the bubble, that economic bubble that it had experienced. So, you know, the bubble had popped, but Nagoya was a, a city that had developed and to this day is developing into one of like Japan's most prominent cities in terms of business, especially. So the fact that they mm-hmm. showcased Nagoya, which is not as necessarily a cosmopolitan a city as Tokyo, sure, but certainly sure. maybe more a little bit in tune with uh, the rural aspects and the country, the countryside. Which are very beautiful and everything, yeah. like we talked about earlier. I think that's a that's a plus point for sure because, you know, what, <laughs> uh, you know, they don't make a point to say that it's Nagoya too much, right? They say it once, maybe yeah. in, in a bit they of don't. in a bit of uh, voiceover as he's arriving at the airport, maybe from Art, Art Lafleur mm-hmm, or something. Mm-hmm. I think has a line where he says something like that. Um, but it, it's nice to see it. And these days, if you think of Japan, kids are still probably going to think about, you know, Tokyo or Akihabara, you know, th- those kind of places, right. which are you know, 100%. very present in a lot of the media that they consume today, but you know, hardly indicative of what a Japanese, you know, experience would be, right? So, yeah. And there's a difference between like, oh man, you know, I don't want to move to the other side of the world and, oh, you know, I'm going to be homesick and, you know, X, Y, Z, as opposed to like, ugh, Japan, like, how, how dare complainer. you make me move to Your boy is a, you complainer. Know, a beautiful country? And a- well, I mean, that's, that's probably also like, uh, you know, a systemic example of how exotic Japan has always been portrayed. You know, I mean, yeah. in the 90s, uh, everyone had Sony Mitsubishi products, drove me, you know, cars yeah. from Japan and everything. You know, but, you know, for a lot of people, Japan was always just somewhere else, right? You know, it may it may have right. been as I mean, these days there are certainly a lot of people who live with a small world, but you know, it's as like different to them as you know, Mars, right? So right, right. 
Um, well, let's let's play our favorite game, Zigzer. We're gonna go <laughs> through all of our different media review sites and try to see if you can guess what Mr. Baseball has as a rating. So we're gonna start with IMDb. Um, I'm sure you know this is a, a ten point scale with a point system. What do you think out of ten does Mr. Baseball uh, have? I'm gonna say three point seven. Okay. Cam, Whoa, what do you think? Hello. I mean, it's a movie not a lot of people saw, I guess. So. <laughs> That's true, but it is charming enough, I'll say. I'll go 4.5. 6, even. 6.0. Wow. Uh, it's got 11,000 six, six uh, reviews. 6 votes out of 10. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's... You're going to notice a trend throughout each of those reviews, but you know Tom Selleck was a movie star at this point in time, and people loved Tom Selleck. And like, like I said, like, he was going to be Indiana Jones. That was like almost yeah. now. Now he's just Jesse Stone. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, there's a lot of oh yeah, yeah. I finally remember this movie. You know, Tom Selleck is so handsome. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like. It's a, it's a fun movie. One of the things I started doing, and I guess I should do more often with these movies, is I listened to a podcast where two white people were talking about this movie and uh, <laughs> <laughs> just how much they enjoyed it. And, See how they, uh, much how they feel about it, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, there's there's definitely some reverence for it. Although, like you're saying, Caesar, it is not a movie that gets brought up in the in the pantheon of baseball movies. Oh, well, there's kind of, so many of them, too. You really got to do something to stand out. And I think the phenomenal ones, yeah. are, and it's you know, not, it's, I would kind of equate it to a different genre like think about werewolf films mm-hmm. there are right you know, there are tons of vampire films tons of zombie films so you can just do whatever you want when you do a werewolf film you got to make it good otherwise you're going to be mm-hmm. like you know ripped to shreds you know so to speak right but, <laughs> um and i mean it's not even because the thing is it's not even a cult classic you know what i mean it's not even a movie that after all these people are like oh but did you ever see mr baseball you know <laughs> like i think it just kind of existed in this in-between space and so people were like you know because it's not so bad that it's like oh my god mr baseball but it's also not special in any way that people would be like yeah mr baseball like that yeah, was pretty that's, fun that's a um, I think the kids would call it mid very mid and that's definitely not a term i'm familiar with you guys are teaching me now <laughs> <laughs> that's why i said the kids I, I, let me be your bridge yeah you mean my chopsticks well <laughs> there you go there you go this is an interesting one let's go to Rotten Tomatoes what do you guys think it has on Rotten Tomatoes mm. I'm going to say probably based on what you just said about IMDB usually that was user rating for IMDB right right uh, are we doing rotten rating is that what we're freshness or something yeah yeah it's 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 the freshness this is this is the critic review critic rating Generally, you can probably take away twenty percent off of what uh, audience member says for what a critic will say. So probably forty percent if you had a six at IMDb. Okay, Cam. I'll agree, but I got a Price Is Right you, so forty-two <laughs> percent. Okay, thanks for giving me that one. <laughs> so this is interesting. It's got a twelve percent on Ooh. Rotten Tomatoes. Devastating, but. but a lot of these reviews are 
in the last 10, 15 years, right? So you're getting reviews from 2000, from yeah. 2021, 2018. So a lot of this is people looking back on Mr. Baseball and, and judging it from a present day standpoint. But if yeah. you look at it with the reviews that came out around the time, right? Uh, Kevin Thomas of the Los Angeles Times writes that Mr. Baseball racks up a real home run for Tom Selleck comparing the actor to Clark Gable. Um, you've got uh, Bill Deal of uh, ABC calling Mr. Baseball uproariously funny. Uh, Steve Will of Sports Illustrating glowing that Tom Selleck deserves a baseball Oscar. Even Siskel right. and Ebert okay. in their review of the film, uh, even though it's got a formulaic plot, you know, they, they place the, the crowd shots. It is a classic Siskel and Ebert where, you know, Ebert's yeah. like, yeah, I kind of like it. And Siskel's like, this movie sucks. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, they kind of go back and forth. But generally, this movie got not rave reviews, but it was, people were a lot kinder to it when it actually mm. came out. So it was getting reviews. Probably, like, if you if it came out now, or Rotten Tomatoes was around at the time, it probably would have, like, a 60-50%. You know what I mean? Like, it probably would have been pretty much in the middle. But now it's got 12. Uh, (laughs) So finally, our favorite, one Amazon.com. This is a five stars. What do you think it has out of five, Caesar? Uh, I guess I'm going to play the middle game. So you had 12 and 60. (laughs) So I'm going to do 38, 3.8. Okay. Cameron, what do you think? Four and a half stars. Not quite five, but four and a half stars, baby. It is 4.6 out of 5. Um, <laughs> it takes a lot to make these suburban moms mad, yo. Like it's... 76% five-star ratings. Get um, out of here. <laughs> similar deal. People just love Tom Selleck. Like, that is really seemingly the selling point. Is, of the, uh, movie is the movie currently yeah. available to stream on Amazon Prime? It isn't, right? You, you can stream it. it through the stars subscription yeah how, um, how did you two watch it I, stars that stars subscription had, baby that free trial baby i i dropped uh, i dropped yeah. four dollars to rent it on oh yeah yeah we, we always try to avoid it uh but as sometimes you can't can. sometimes you gotta but what if uh you know, you know but what if you want to watch something extra special on stars but you don't want to subscribe you don't want to like you know, mm. waste that <laughs> I know. This is a sociological experiment, you know. Yeah. We're we're funded by uh curiosity we're funded <laughs> by, you know, grants grants and viewers <laughs> like you. <laughs> um well let's let's get this thing on our cuckacity ranking system. We've got three levels of cuckacity, Caesar. The first level is shorts in the winter, right? And so basically we're talking about all right. Is this hurting me specifically? No, it's a curiosity. I'm wondering why you've decided to wear your shorts when it's clearly 20 degrees outside. There's snow on the ground. Um, you know, I tried I, to take a picture of one for this week. Yeah. <laughs> in, an anthropological, in an anthropological study, I tried to take a picture of one this week. It didn't work out. Yeah. We'll try again next time. <laughs> but it's like, all right, so mm, I wouldn't do it. And, you know, I... I'm not being harmed by it, but I am curious as to why this is occurring. Uh, Cameron, what's the second level? The second level of caucasity is this movie is touching my hair. So now this movie has invaded your space. This movie is already, you know, in your face, probably knuckle deep in your hair before it's asked you a question. Hey, you know, can I touch your hair? (laughs) 
but it's already it's already being touched. Um, and that just means it's like an this movie is starting to make an affront. It's actually trying to say something, maybe say something without saying something. Maybe this movie thinks it's slick. <laughs> yes. But uh, yeah, this movie is actually like trying to engage you in that sense. Um, and our third level of caucasity is brought to you this week by Paula Patton's white half. Uh, (laughs) I thought about sending it to you. (laughs) And for those not aware, Paula Patton, uh, actress, uh, one time spouse of, um, Robin Thicke, Robin Thicke, uh, was out here on Instagram showing us her, her family fried chicken recipe. Uh, everything was, going okay initially and then (laughs) things went off the rails where she uh decided to not season her chicken and throw it into the fryer and then at the last minute add seasoning which was just a a real bizarre choice she claims that it's a family recipe uh you know her her mother is white and i guess that's the way that they did it at the patent household but you know what i mean we're we're gonna get into it look stereotypical sure but fried chicken is ubiquitous everybody loves fried chicken you can't tell me you don't worldwide right like it's a thing you go to h mart you get that uh that spicy fried chicken like that's right beautiful beautiful so i think this level is just like you did this on purpose right this is this is uh <laughs> this is violence intentional violence you know what you're doing nobody does that that's not a thing that i've ever seen anybody do season the fried chicken in the oil after the and not so it's not even on the spices are being burned in the oil (laughs) on impact how do you think you're tasting any of whatever you're pouring in there if we're if we're gonna get technical with it you know like i am a fried chicken novice but even i know you you put the seasoning (laughs) into the buttermilk really before the fact and then you you let it marinate overnight so it gets the juiciness right. and then all of that gets into it and into then you can the add chicken. even more seasoning onto the flour mixture that you're going to put onto it and then you put it in the oil right and both then things it, that will be cooked by the oil not yeah. burned and charred by the oil <laughs> you want to get the seasoning when I saw it, all into I could do the chicken all i could do was that i wasn't even shocked i was just like you're wrong you know, and she's come out defending that, you know, look, this is just how we did it in our household. It's my mom's recipe, et cetera, et cetera. It's still wrong, though. It's still not a thing <laughs> that anybody should be emulating. Uh, but that's that's pretty much it, right? Like, you're taking a, a cultural thing or a thing that, you know, like, is is something that most people would say, yeah, I can see that this is going wrong immediately just on site (laughs) and yet you're so insistent that this is the right way this is the way to do it you know what i mean like there's no other way for it to be done i really i feel like there's an internal struggle happening within paula Patton, where the white side is just like yeah you know you don't even need to wash this and the black side is just like (laughs) just like yeah just having a moment uh but that's that's it's the ultimate level of violence where do you feel like this movie lands Uh, i'd say there the first the first level you know it's it's a movie that uh mm-hmm. i would say probably has some like good intentions it's just misguided 
now. And the fact that it's yeah. mostly a forgotten movie aside from a handful of handful of people and I guess uh, people like me who remember in the adolescence uh, I would say any harm that it does if if any is fairly low yeah I would say I would say shorts 0.5 you know what I mean like there's shorts there's a little 5. bit of like okay you know did you have to do that was that necessary why is there a love scene or like a whole romantic subplot between these characters like stuff that i i wish probably wasn't in the movie and also again like it's a movie about japan where basically every japanese character is kind of relegated to second fiddle to tom Selleck, uh in a way that's kind of like we could have we could have upped some of these characters in here and given yeah. them a little something more i mean again you're, you're getting legendary actors in your film like give them something to do you know more so than just be grim baseball manager or like um you know extra baseball player you know in the film like there's there's could have been a lot more done with it but to your point caesar it's also a movie that the the reach is minimal the actual harm being done is minimal we've seen way worse (laughs) and uh you know the fact that they at least tried you know to get certain elements of japanese culture right and also didn't go for the lowest common denominator joke uh i feel like gives it some some credibility in my book cool cam uh i think yeah i think i actually have to agree with you on shorts point five mostly because why did yoji had to catch one in the face like that's <laughs> it's so unnecessary like if anybody's gonna get like the i fell down and I, or i punched the guy by accident why does it gotta be yoji i like yoji i like yoji too he was smart he came at him with up front and he was like don't disrespect my culture i'm gonna help you out right and then he catches strays you know yeah and then he was like, "We're not, we're not friends anymore." And then he was like, "We're friends again." Yeah, yeah we're friends like again. A few I'm Yoji. Later. I'm great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, let's wrap things up by by giving people some recommendations of things that they should watch instead. And you know, if you have sports movies, Caesar, that's great. You know, definitely would love to hear whatever you what you can think of. But it doesn't necessarily have to be baseball related or sports related uh it could just be something that people should watch or read or or listen to that is better than mr Baseball. uh well i guess uh i wasn't really prepared that i had to do a su- suggestion but uh i'm gonna i will do another baseball film uh it's a movie from 2007 i want to say it's a movie called american pastime have are there are you guys ever heard of that movie Okay, no. uh, it's a film, an independent baseball film that's set during World War II. Uh, it's set in a Japanese internment camp and based on a true story about Japanese internees uh, building a baseball team in an internment camp. That's, okay. Sounds yeah, awesome. I think the movie itself is kind of out there. But baseball, especially baseball films... <laughs> uh, <laughs> have a sentiment to them that I really respond to maybe not as much as say like a boxing mm-hmm. film, which is more of like a man to man type of thing, but a community, but a community right. aspect and a team aspect, which uh, certainly Mr. Bay baseball lacks uh, quite a bit uh, is certainly more present in that film. And it's a movie that's, you know, right. uh, mostly Asian American cast of unknowns um, mostly um, mm-hmm. that 
you know, I'm always willing to kind of go to bat for, uh, the people, you know, our people working in the trenches, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Cam, do you have any recommendations? Um, I actually, you know, it's funny. I host this podcast and I wasn't even prepared. Um, well, you saw a movie last night (laughs) that I feel like, Oh yeah. I mean, (laughs) I guess this is going to be out fairly soon. So, Run, don't walk. <laughs> Run, don't walk to see, yeah. I was going to suggest Ozu. I was going to be like, oh, you should see Good Morning by Yashijiro Ozu. It's a cute little movie about, yeah, two <laughs> two brothers who want a TV. That's that's all they want. Yeah. It's, a, it's a sweet little movie about farts and TVs. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, yeah, you saw an amazing masterpiece <laughs> last night. Yeah, this is, this is my review is go see it. It's yeah. amazing. It's literally the most creative movie I've seen in like years, <laughs> in years. Um, uh, yeah, and it's <laughs> it's actually just it's it's respectful of Asian culture. It's made by Asian people with love, with joy at the heart of it. Um, yeah, I'd love to have a discussion honestly on this podcast about it it, yeah because it's not about white saviors so if we can extend outside and not talk about white saviors it'll be for this movie that's my suggestion yeah let's do it let's Let's make it happen um well if i have to give a recommendation um you know all of the things that you guys have said i would i would definitely say watch those um but also there's a book that came out recently that i definitely would would love to recommend i just started to get into it but even just flipping through it it looks like an incredible read that i I think a lot of people could get a lot of value from and it's called rise a pop history of asian america from the 90s to now uh and it's by jeff yang phil Yu, and philip wang um and it's it's just an incredible it's a dense book but it's an incredible retrospective of exactly that you know history of asian america pop history uh starting in the 90s they they do a little bit of the before but it's basically like this is the era in which you know they were alive and kind of able to kind of look at all these things so it's it's through their mm-hmm. lens uh but really it's it's it is a pop history like it's not just film it's music it's um just celebrity culture uh it's you know television they they have a whole section on white saviors. They have a whole yes, multiple yes. sections on yellow face and like all these other things. And it's it's an examination, right, of you know Asian America on screen and you know just in a you know a pop sphere, but also like it's a story of you know Asian Americans and Asian America you know from the '90s to now. So really looking at that that evolution from you know a pop culture perspective. Uh, but really giving you a lot of, you know, information. Again, I've just read like a little bit and even that has been like, wow, you know, like this is really, really, it's, it's informative, but like not in a way that's like, it feels fun, you know, to, to read through it and flip through it. Um, But it's also, you know, that passion, right? Like when you're reading it, you're just like, yeah, these are people who, you know, love, you know, the, the culture that they come from. They have, you know, a real reverence for, um, you know, the community and it's, it's a love letter to, you know, just all of this different pop culture, you know, over the last 30 years. So I definitely would recommend if you get it from the library, if you borrow it from a friend or, you know, you buy it, like it's, it's definitely worth a read for sure. 
Yeah, great book. I have uh, yeah. I have it on my have it on my table right now. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have to get to it. Get to I it. Be, you one of the cool kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Caesar, I want to thank you so much for for joining us and and talking yeah, it was about a this pleasure. with us. Um, let every yeah, let everybody know uh, where they can find you online, what they should be checking out. Uh, if they want to see more of the things you do. Well, uh, yeah, I mentioned earlier, I run a, a site called filmsmash.com, uh, Uh It's a site where uh, I'm the main editor, but I also provide most of the content, just uh, news reviews, uh, uh, trailers, galleries, things like contests. So uh, for Asian films uh, released hmm. domestically and abroad. So film festival coverage things like that so yeah we'd appreciate if you gave us a look <laughs> for sure yeah uh cam where can people find you uh you can find me on twitter and instagram at uh the blipster 1138 um trying to post more stuff i got some stuff coming up soon so Hopefully that all falls in line, and I have plenty of content to give. Uh, but for the time being, you can go check out my sketch comedy group, uh, To Karen With Love, at tokarenwithlove.com, youtube.com slash tokarenwithlove. Boom. And I'm Jordan Clark. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at jrsosa18, jrsosa18. Uh, gonna keep promoting it. Part of that milestone initiative yes, for right. DC Comics. Uh, so we're we're in the middle of that now. Uh, working on some very cool stuff. Also, coming out in June from Dynamite Comics, uh, Samurai Sonia, uh, five issue miniseries should be hitting stores around then. Um, other comic stuff in the works. Uh, so happy to talk about that as it comes up. But if you wanna get in touch with us, you can reach out to us on Twitter at white underscore pod. We've got a bunch of stuff hopefully coming up in the future, you know, maybe some Patreon stuff, maybe some live show stuff, um, and some other cool things that we're working on. You can also reach out to us at white people will save you pod at gmail.com. If you want to suggest movies to us, if you want to tell us about some caucasity you've seen out in the wild, if you've got, uh, you know, just, just anything you want to drop by us, <laughs> definitely let us know. Um, as always, we appreciate you listening. If you'd be so kind, rate, review, subscribe and all, your different podcast providers if you enjoy the show. Um, but we'll be back with you next week for more Caucasity. Peace. Take care. Peace. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't wanna be saved. You can't save us. We don't wanna be saved. You can't save us. We don't wanna be saved.